We are starting a new sermon series today entitled Unclean Things. Um, it's going to be for a few weeks. This is throughout the month of June here that we'll be speaking on unclean things and looking at a few different topics. Our verse that I want us to look at, if you have your Bibles, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is where I want us to look. Uh, for our text for this series, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, this is New International Version that I'm reading from, Therefore, come out from them and be you separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. This verse is quoted a lot of times, and usually it's separated. Um, I've heard a lot of people quote the scripture and say, come out from among them and be you separate, and they end it there. And I've heard other people quote, touch no unclean thing. But usually you don't hear the end of the verse where that it says, and I will receive you. How many wants to make heaven your home? That's your goal, that's your ambition, that's your desire. That's what you intend to do in eternity, is be in heaven with God and worshiping our Heavenly Father. So this verse, when we put it into its entirety, and if you read the whole chapter, and I encourage you to do that, go back and read the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 to get a little bit more context, but the Apostle Paul is preaching to the church at Corinth, and he's giving them this letter, this epistle, to give them some direction. To resource them with how to conduct themselves in their lives. So in looking at this unclean thing, and if you go back and study all throughout Scripture, you're going to find a lot of places in the Scripture that talks about what's clean and unclean where that different authors of different books of the Bible uh, paint pictures for us in words saying what is clean or unclean. And God depicts that in the Old Testament is one of the places where that you will see it most likely is in the Old Testament in what's called the Torah. And the Torah, and I'm wearing this hat on purpose in case you has anybody got a problem with me wearing a hat? You can't see my eyes. Eyes are the windows of the soul. Uh, but anyway, I'm wearing this hat because I just want to wear a hat today. And it's kind of a statement because some people, some ministers wouldn't preach in a softball shirt or a racing team hat because they would deem it to be inappropriate according to what they believe. But God desires for us to make a difference in our world. And as I think about this and look at that in the Torah, if we go back and study the Torah, in the Jewish world, at the time of Christ, the Torah was first and foremost the books, or what they would call in our 
thing today. Poor little crew ha having a hard, hard morning. Mama to the rescue. Dad, why didn't you jump up and run? Why is it always the mom? Come on, man. <laughs> it's okay. But the Jews of that day and that time would have looked at the Torah, and it's basically what they would say is their Bible, what we would call a Bible today. That was their Bible at that time, that the Torah. And the Torah is really the first five books of the Bible that you hold in your lap or you have on your cell phone as an app or whatever. The, the Torah is the first five books, and we know them as the Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that's the first five books of the Bible, and it's a big portion of the Old Testament. They were all written by Moses that we see in some of those books that Moses' story is there. In Genesis, actually, that book is where we know the story of the beginnings of all things, where that... We see the story of Adam and Eve and, and Noah and Abraham and all these different individuals that we call patriarchs or the original, the beginnings of the world that we know. Moses didn't live during those times, but God showed him pictures of those times that he wrote down so that we would have an account of how this all began. So Genesis is the beginnings of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So as we see those things, we know the beginnings because God allowed us to see them because Moses wrote them down for us because God told him to. God wants his word to be in your hands, in your eyes, and in your heart. We are blessed in America to have Bibles laying everywhere at my house. I have multiple, multiple different versions of Bibles, and, and, and they're just everywhere. Some of them is still out at the church building out on 59, and, and they're there and been there for a long time. And some of my original study Bibles, whenever I first got saved, they're there, and, and they're well-worn, and they need to be. It's one of the things that I love about my father-in-law is I've watched him and witnessed him wear out multiple Bibles in my Christian life and my experience. Him and my mother-in-law wake up every morning. They pray to their Heavenly Father. They read their Bible together. And they determine what does Scripture say regarding this. I'm not saying their life is perfect. For one... Look how bad a job they did on their daughter. But they tried. But they tried. Everybody's got a burden to bear, and God gave them theirs. And then they arranged a marriage and put her off on me. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> Ernie knows it's the truth. Genesis is the beginnings. Everybody say that with me. The beginnings. So when you're reading through Genesis, understand that you're learning the beginnings of all things. Because God doesn't want us ignorant, he gives us his word 
to study. The second book is the book of Exodus, and this is the story of the Exodus is where God pulls the Jewish people that were enslaved in Egypt, and he rescues them from being slaves. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. If you've never read through the book of Exodus, I implore you, read the books of Exodus and look and watch as God pulls people out of situations and brings them into his will. And as you read those words, apply it to your life, and as you give your life to him, watch him pull you out of situations of bondage and place you in places of freedom. God came to set us free from sin. He didn't come to place us in sin. Exodus is the story of the rescue of God. It's his breath in our lungs. I love that song. We need to be filled with the passion and the purpose of God. Today is Pentecost Sunday. In, in, in the Old Testament, it talks about these different feasts. That God told us to live out and practice. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's about the fullness of God internal in humans. And God dwelling with man in his entirety in our being. When you give your life to Jesus, he comes in and makes his residence in your heart. He puts a mailbox outside of your life and say, I shall reside here. If you don't know him, today is a great day to learn about him and accept him. He will rescue you from the torment and struggles that the enemy has placed in your life. The next book is Leviticus. And as Leviticus is there, it's an Old Testament law. And if you don't believe me, try to read it. Everybody begins at the beginning of the year. Usually they'll see the beginning of the year happen. Oh, the day's taken off. Look at him. He took my word, didn't he? <laughs> he listened. Awesome. She'll be happy. Happy wife, happy life. Um, people will take off the beginning of the year, and they'll start reading through the Bible in a one-year plan, and they'll go through it, and as they... Head through it, and you know it's really interesting. You get in Genesis, and you learn all these stories about the beginnings, and it's really exciting. And, and then you get in Exodus, and it's this big, great story of God rescuing humans and bringing them out of situations. And it's, you get all impassioned, and the next thing you know, you run into Leviticus. And this is the thou shalt, thou shalt not, and don't do this. And it gets really boring really quick. Because it looks like it's repetitive, and it's just like God keeps telling you over and over and over again. But I think he has to tell us because if not, our opinions will be what we live our lives by. Or my philosophy, or what I think. We need to be very cautious in saying, in my opinion. Because I think it's why the world that we're living in today is so divisive and so just 
ingrained with struggle and tension is because we all begin our sentences with, in my opinion, Has anybody got one? <laughs> Has anybody ever let somebody else to know what yours is? I think that's an unclean thing myself to always be issuing our opinions. God gave the Levitical law to set the humans that he had just rescued with parameters or guardrails, you can call them, on how to live their life. God knows better than we on how we ought to live. If I live my life according to what I desire or what I want or what is in my opinion is best for me, I did that from 1976 till 1999. I lived a life for me and about me. But when I went to that altar and prayed that prayer, I knew in that instant that I had made a mess of things and I needed God to fix those things. He's still working on me. And if you've given your life to him, I hope and pray that you can see he's still working on you. But these Jewish people heard this Levitical law as Moses gave it to them and, and wrote it down for them so that they could have it. And we're looking at this Torah, these first five books of the Bible, and this is the middle of the Torah. And there's, I just want to read a couple of them to you. Out of Leviticus, this is chapter 5. If he... Talking, Moses, writing this down, what God told him to write in Leviticus is a law. So this is Jewish law. If he touches human uncleanliness of whatsoever sort his uncleanliness may be, which becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty. So if I touch unclean things, I become unclean. It happened to me this morning. I was out here, you know, watching everybody else set up the greeter booth and Tommy trying to hand me old unclean donut. I wouldn't take it. I wanted one. Then little Livy comes up, though, and Livy comes over there and she hands me one of them little tangerines or whatever they are, orange or whatever it is. I don't know. She hands it to me, just looks at me, smiles real big. She's always real good about giving me a hug, so I thought, I have to do my part. Apparently, Jessica and Shannon were busy. So I began to take apart that orange or tangerine, whatever it is, and, and I began to, you know, peel it back, and she's looking at me with excitement of knowing I'm getting ready to eat my part of this. So I tell her, we gotta go over to stand with the garbage can. I go over to stand with the garbage can, and as I'm tearing off pieces, and throwing it in the garbage because the outside is the unclean part, and I don't think you just want to take a bite of it like you would an apple, so you're peeling it off, throwing it away. And I hand her the first little piece, and she pulls off the middle, and, and we throw it away. And she looks at me, and she's like, yeah, this is awesome. 
and then I finish out and do another piece, and then I drop the outside piece on the, on the floor, and she looks at it, and she grabs it, and I said, we got to throw that away, and she throws it in the trash. So then I finish, and I take it all apart, and by then, you know how it is. It, it doesn't come apart perfectly, so you end up with all this juice and slime and Anybody like being sticky? Howie's really bad about not liking sticky. I mean, he, he don't like syrup or anything like that. So if you're ever around him, you do want to make Howie squirm a little bit, you can just uh, hand him uh, something really sticky. He'll, he'll not take it from you, but maybe you can put it in his hands anyway. But as I was standing there, and I, I thought, well, I can just air this off, you know, and I, I just waved my hands, and it dried a little bit, and the more dry it got, the stickier it got. My fingers are sticking together, and I'm like, this is just, I come in and talk to Tony, and I was like, Tony, I, I, this is nasty. I got to get out of here, and I, I went back to the bathroom and washed my hands to get that unclean thing off my hands. Don't touch unclean things is what Leviticus paints a picture for us. Because when we touch unclean things, it affects our life. And it affects everything about us. If I would not have washed my hands, washed, washed, same thing, Lewis County, washed my hands, it would have affected this microphone. So as we touch, then we share. So unclean things is about us understanding the things that I touch affects me. So God paints this in Leviticus to let them know the unclean things. Be careful what you touch because it is going to affect the things that you come in contact with thereafter. But I love this one verse, or two verses put together here in Leviticus chapter 13 as I was reading through Leviticus and thinking about these unclean things, it says, As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. <laughs> so, this is not to be considered A curse, but a blessing. So if you got a bald guy sitting around you there somewhere, somebody just look over and say, let them know how cute they really are. I'm sitting here, so if you're not, all, I, I, I see one in the back back here. We got one, Tom, you, you're looking pretty good back there, Tom. It's, it's, it's going backwards. Ann's sitting there. Just, just pat him on the head a little bit, Ann. He'll, he'll be okay. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, and he is clean. So even if it's just receding and you ain't bald yet, you're still pretty good looking according to Leviticus. You're not unclean, you're clean. It saves on shampoo, too. It makes life a lot easier. I haven't owned a comb since the 1990s. I don't need a brush, and I like it that way. 
But in all Leviticus here, it paints these different pictures or different stories about or different laws that God places to tell them what's clean and unclean and what to touch and not touch. And there's this one section in Leviticus that tells you that a woman with the issue of blood is considered unclean. So as we're bringing Leviticus into action and what does that look like and what does that feel like and how does the New Testament refer to this Old Testament Torah that we're studying about, how does it apply? Christ didn't come to tear down the law but to fulfill the law. So this Torah that we're studying, Jesus fulfilled all points of that. But there was this woman that was in the crowd and she had spent all she had for years and years and years on doctors trying to get cured. But she was considered unclean. That meant she wasn't allowed around the other parts of society or the other people that were there that were her friends, her neighbors, her family. She was exiled from them. She wasn't allowed from them. We understand that in today. Uh, because of the past few years, we understand when we get quarantined, we're separated from, and it's not a whole lot of fun. Amen? Because quarantining and separation doesn't just affect us bodily, it affects us mentally. We as humans, God Saul fit whenever Adam come to him and said, I'm looking around and all these animals have a partner and I'm here alone. And God said, it's not good for man to dwell alone. And Eve was created so that man could have partnership and relationship. God desires you to not be alone. So this quarantining that this lady had faced for years, imagine being in quarantine for years, decades, without interaction, without physical touch. Because the Levitical law said she wasn't allowed to. Custom said she wasn't allowed to. Society said she wasn't allowed to. But she hears about this man coming through town named Jesus. And he had healed many, many, many people who had got close to him, who had touched him. She's unclean, according to Leviticus. And she says, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And the crowd, Jesus is going to Jairus' house. He's traveling along this road, and he's going here. There's this young girl that is very, very sick. And the dad had come and got Jesus and said, come with me. You've got to come to my house. I need you to come and touch and lay hands on my daughter and see her restored to life. 
We need to pray for those that need healing. Amen. My mom raised me, laying hands on me with oil. And if she didn't have any anointing oil, she'd use Crisco. And if she didn't even have that, she would use some motor oil. She didn't care because God said to anoint them with oil. So I guess it would be okay. She believed in prayer cloths and she would oftentimes in our, you know, you raised up in a Christian home and, and next thing you know, you'd find a prayer cloth stuck in your pillow case praying for us. It may seem crazy to the world, but according to God's word, it's reality and it's truth. Practice it. If any is sick and afflicted among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith and see the one that is sick restored to health. Let's believe God is able to do exceedingly and great things amongst us. But this woman had a need. And she's traveling down that road and there's these folks there, the believers that was just excited to get a, go watch and see Jesus heal this little girl that was sick. But this woman says, I need a touch. And it's a very, very, very scary thing to be declared unclean and be a Jewish person and knowing when you touch somebody else, they are unclean. You've practiced this for decades. But guess what? She says there's something different about this man. There is something different about this one I'm fixing to go touch. The Bible says they were thronged about him. They was all over the place. And Jesus was encompassed by this great crowd of people. And she covered herself. And she went in. And she got up real close. And I can just imagine her working her way through the crowd. You've ever been in a big crowd and you know what that's like whenever it's very crowded. You don't have elbow room. And you maneuver your way through and you're thinking, I'm going to get there. Go to a concert and try to get to the front row. Pretty tough, right? But she got there. And as he's walking along, intentional about going to this man's house that has requested his service to anoint his daughter. In the midst of that stride when Jesus was walking, this woman finally got close enough. And it says she touched the hem of his garment. She didn't touch his leg. She didn't touch his shoe. She touched the hem of his garment. And as she laid hands on that hem of his garment, Jesus immediately stopped. It stopped him in his tracks. Because unclean things touching you causes you to have the heebie-jeebies. Amen? When we get oranges on our hands, it's just like, ooh. And Jesus was walking, and he knew this, because Abbasi was in men's stride, and she touched that. Immediately, he stopped. And he turned around, and he said, who touched me? She was embarrassed. 
and afraid to say it because she knew that those around her in that crowd would have been glad to pick up stones and cast them at her for touching the master with her uncleanliness. Because in Levitical law, she just made Jesus unclean. How dare you bring your dirty, filthy, nasty, no good, rotten, no good for nothing self to Jesus. Who touched me? And his disciples looked up and said, well, how in the world are we going to know who touched you? Look at the people around you, Jesus. They're everywhere. You're famous, man. And eventually, the woman had to take into account Leviticus that says, right here, the first one we read in Leviticus chapter 5, it says that if you know something, you have to say it. It's the law of God. Basically what that's saying is Christians today or Jewish people of today, you can't plead the fifth. If you know it, you're responsible for it. So she spoke up and she said, it was me. Jesus' statement in that story wasn't, I felt uncleanliness come upon me. He said, I perceive that virtue went out of me. Jesus is the source of hope, of help, of health, of healing that we need. You're sitting in this place today. You have needs. You have issues. You have unclean things that you've touched. You have uncleanliness setting on you and resting on you. And the enemy keeps reminding you of it. How unclean you are. You're not going to make Jesus dirty by coming to him and saying, Here, I lay down my life and I give it to you. His power is going to come out of him into you. It's going to change the situation that you're facing. You can walk out of this room today with a new lease on life because Jesus' power has affected you in this room. Where I am weak, He is strong. What if we would understand the power of God that was reality in this place today. And when we sing, it's your breath in my lungs. That we understand that as I breathe that breath, the Spirit of God into my life, that it's bringing life into this dead mortal body. And I become alive. Why? Because Jesus has made me alive. And if you've never known that, you've never experienced that, you've never given Him your life, I promise you this today. There will be a load lifted off your shoulders like you've never known in your life. Can anybody say amen and attest to that? It's the truth. The burdens are light. Unclean things. is the enemy's way of causing you to feel like you have to fix it. You have to clean it. It's your job. Clean yourself up and then come to church. Fooey. 
I don't believe it. If I would have waited till I got my life fixed to come to church, I would have never came. I was living in a mess. I was pitiful as a human being. Lie, cheat, steal. All the things that God tells us not to do. Honor your father and mother. I was the worst son ever. But God saw fit to save me a sinner. And he loved me even though I was sinful. Even though I was created in his image, I was still walking around doing everything that I've been taught not to do. And God said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Leviticus is awesome. But when you come into the New Testament, Jesus changed everything. They was living in bondage until the master showed up. The law, according to the Apostle Paul, had people in bondage. It was parameters that they needed to hear. And God put it, placed it upon them to try to get them to do better. But life is hard. The next book is the book of Numbers out of those top five there in your Bible. Genesis, the beginnings. Exodus, the rescue. Leviticus, the law. Numbers. It's a census. We went through a census a couple of years ago, 2020. They do it every 10 years in America because the Constitution says so. And the census matters because it brings about other things. It's our way of numbering who is in the fold. The book of Numbers is where God decides in these 12 tribes of Israel, this is the numbers of those families. And there's names by names by names, and there's a whole book full of them. It's another boring book, but some of them's very important. Study them, know them, because as you do that, it will paint a picture of, of the Bible that you can go throughout the remainder of the Bible understanding when verses come about about an individual, you'll know who they are or where they was at in the story timeline. Numbers is there for our benefit. The last book of that five books is Deuteronomy. This is the story where Moses comes to the end of his journey and he's reapplying Leviticus basically and telling them this is the law and some people call it the second law or the repeated law is what Deuteronomy is about. Deuteronomy 12.32 says everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Be careful about these books. I have a whole lot more that I have wrote down. And I'm just going to end it right there. These five books were for our benefit. The Pentateuch. The Torah. So if you go into a Jewish synagogue today, these are the five books that they still apply. They still live out. 
Those are the things they talk about. But in this series, I want us to know that we as Christians are to take the whole counsel of God and use it as the means of our understanding. The whole counsel of God, the entire books of the Bible. I wrote this down. Christ doesn't want us to be robots. He created us as individuals and he gives us liberty. And I thank God for that liberty, don't you? Look at your neighbor and tell him, say, I'm glad I'm not like you. Now look at the neighbor on the other side and say, I'm really glad I'm not like you. Sammy, I'm glad I'm not like you. Isabella, I'm really glad I'm not like you. But the liberty that he gives us, the freedom. Jesus said, I've come to set you free. I've come to give you liberty. But that liberty is confined to the parameters of Scripture. And I don't think we have to go back to Leviticus to see all these unclean things. Because if we did, we wouldn't be able to eat bacon. And life just wouldn't be the same without bacon. Amen? Everybody say, thank God for bacon. Best ice cream I've ever had in my life was a few weeks ago down in Paducah. And it was bacon in ice cream. And it don't even sound very good, but I'm telling you right now, it was yummy. It's just about worth driving to Paducah for. If you ever get down to Paducah, go downtown on the front street by the flood wall. Little uh, ice cream parlor there. Individual owns it. And get you some maple bacon ice cream. Jesus prayed this prayer. And I want it to be our prayer today for every person here. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was getting ready to be taken captive by the chief priest and by the religious leaders of his day. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he tried to get his disciples to pray with him and the Bible says they fell asleep. And Jesus is up on the mountain of Gethsemane and he's there and in this garden he's praying. And he prays all this stuff and it says that his Sweat become like great drops of blood. He's in agony. He's understanding that death is imminent. It is here. My time has come. And he ends the prayer with this word, these words, not my will, but yours be done. The best way to separate yourself from unclean things is to give up on your will and accept his to give up on your ways and accept his to stop living according to your opinions and start living according to his principles I want to know what is the heartbeat of God and what if when we're dealing with a situation or with an issue or with tension or things that's going on in our life what if we would look at it and say what's the heartbeat of God regarding this thing that I'm facing. And that's what I want to do. Not my opinion. 
What does he want me to do? It wasn't just a couple of months ago, Cindy come down to the front and she was rattled and shaken. And she loves her kids on her bus route with all of her heart. And they drove her over the edge one day. She was driving the bus, but they drove her over the edge one day. And she just said, I can't do it anymore. And it brought her to tears. She was just rattled. What shall I do? But she said, Pastor, pray with me. And we prayed over that situation. And what she thought she had to abandon, God fixed. Amen? She's still driving the same route that she was when she thought she was going to have to not see her little hoodlums anymore. God can help you. That's the truth. Whatever situation you're dealing with today, just pray that prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. If you don't know him today, just say, Jesus... I don't have the answers to all this. I don't understand all this, but I hear this preacher saying these things. And today I give you my life. He will take you just like you are. Don't have to change a thing. Come as you are. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes with me. There are plenty of unclean things. And let's commit today to refrain from touching them. Adam and Eve, they could have refrained from touching the fruit in the garden that day. But they didn't. And their act had consequences. And the same way for them that their actions had consequences, our actions have consequences. It's not really all that complicated. One plus one is two. James, Jesus' brother, penned these words in James 4, 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's Jesus' brother. That God gave him those words. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Jesus didn't shun that lady that touched him. He embraced her. He changed her life. He'll change yours. So if you're here today and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior and you're going to pray that prayer and say, I give you my life. I'm going to give you this mess that I've made. And Jesus, I need your help to set things straight, to clean things up. I can't do it. I need you. 
Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you in this place today, saying today's the day of my salvation, and I'm giving you my life, I want you to raise up your hand right now, if you will, if you're in this place. I give you my life. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for those hands. Anybody else? Today's the day I give you my life. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? There's other of you that need to do that. You can feel him beating on your heart's door right now saying, come to me. I can help you. Just lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Anybody else? Amen. Another hand. Anybody else? Let's all pray this prayer together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you. In Jesus' name, I give you my life. I give you this mess. Clean things up. Make me like you so I can live in eternity with our Heavenly Father forever. Amen.